Hey everybody, welcome to Bringing Meditation to Life, a podcast in which we immerse ourselves in the intersection of meditation and everyday life, in which we look at the ways meditation illuminates and deepens our experience of daily living and the ways life itself does the same for our practice. I'm your host, Neil McKinley. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Other Voices aspect of this Bringing Meditation to Life podcast. This is an opportunity for us to learn a little bit about what meditation practice and what life looks like for other meditators that I know. And today, it's our good fortune to have Wendy Lee White with us. It's our good fortune to be able to sit back and listen as Wendy Lee shares a little bit of her experience, a little bit of her sense of bringing meditation to life with all of us. And so welcome, Wendy Lee, and thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. So why don't we just dive in? Can you tell us a little bit about what your life looks like? Yes. I'm in the last year of my 40s. I've been with the same partner for 25 years, and our daughter is 22 years old. I have my own business, and I work for another practitioner about an hour away from where I live, so I spend a lot of time in my car and am always working to balance all of the responsibilities, joys, everything of life. Mm-hmm. That's a major task, as in my experience. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Ongoing and never quite perfect. Agreed. Agreed. And meditation plays a role in that. You know, can you let us know a little bit about what your relationship with meditation looks like? So it depends on the week, it depends on the day. Ideally, I have a formal practice where I actually sit in meditation for 30 to 60 minutes at a time. And the reality of that, while I'd prefer it were daily, the reality of that is it might happen once or twice a week. And that's kind of the formal aspect of it. And then the informal aspect is I love, I love the title bringing meditation to life because I feel like the informal aspect is the moments in between appointments and the moments in between patients and the time when I'm driving in traffic where I can connect back to those like formal practices and be able to have more presence and sit with discomfort. And I don't know, I think, I think that meditation practice allows me to be more present with whatever's happening in life. And that's, that's how it kind of goes back and forth between life and the meditation is the more I, the more I experience life and the ups and downs, the more I want to meditate and get grounded and centered, which makes life more graceful. And then Mm. it just feeds on itself. Can you say a little bit about what you mean by life is more graceful? What a beautiful phrase. I think that in the time, so I'll, I'll use the, like in the times when I'm not meditating so much, 
I feel like I can get pulled out of center quite easily with small everyday things, never mind bigger ones. And when I meditate regularly, I feel like I can stay centered and grounded in responding authentically and responding respectfully through heart with love rather than kind of getting bowled over and then responding inauthentically, maybe less than respectfully. I think the more I stay grounded and centered, the more present I can be with whatever is happening. Yeah, beautifully put and really pertinent and actually resonant for me right now in terms of feeling grounded and centered. I feel like I'm grounded and centered about three minutes back in our conversation and you've offered so many talking points here. So I'd like to go back and then maybe make our way through some of the things that you've said. You talked about your formal practice in, in you know, being 30 to 60 minutes of formal sitting meditation, yeah. but that it depends. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting, relevant, important piece of our meditator's puzzle is that dependentness of our meditation practice. Can you speak a little bit about what your engagement with formal practice depends upon and how do you navigate that? How do you adjust for the, the, the change in that? Uh, so this is where my humanness comes in. I think yeah. um, what it depends on is, you know, practical things like my schedule or uh, my quality of sleep and did I get up early enough in order to to fit it in? Um, but it also depends on this is the irony, I think. When I'm so far out of balance that I'm rigid and disconnected, I'm left, which is when I need meditation the most, I'm less likely to adhere to a formal practice. It's when I am present enough to know and to acknowledge that I need the formal practice that it happens more likely, which is totally the opposite of what is helpful. The, the key for me is how do I come back to it more easily when I am pulled so far out of my balance? Because that's when I need it the most. And how do you do that? How do you hmm. find your way back when you are being pulled? And that's a great, yeah. I love that the dynamism of that phrase, pulled out of balance. It's not a monolithic, I am out of balance. It's oh, being no. pulled out of balance. Dynamic. It's ever, ever going. Um, how do I get pulled back or drawn back? Um, I think... I think one of two things happens. One is that I get so out of balance that either my anxiety or my overwhelm are so much in the forefront that I almost have to sit in order to keep functioning. And by sit, I mean meditate. Um, so that's kind of like the, the most intense or, or kind of worst case scenario, but that sounds judgy. More often than, I think that's that's the most intense. More often than not, I feel myself getting to that like end zone of anxiety and overwhelm 
and realize and kind of catch it before it gets to that extreme point. But usually, I mean, ideally I'd love to be motivated. I don't know who first coined this expression, but like motivated for the carrot in front of me rather than avoiding the pointy stick behind me. But I think often when I get, when it's been a while, I think it's more avoidance of the pointy stick that gets me back to the cushion Mm -hmm. than the striving for the carrot. You know, one of the things that's striking me is you, you are talking about this is, and maybe I'm mistaken in, in how I'm hearing this, but I don't hear a lot of separating things from your meditation practice. I know you're talking about things that are taking you away, pulling you away from formal practice, Mm -hmm. but it almost feels like your engagement with those things, with that anxiety and the overwhelm in the more extreme situations, for instance, Mm -hmm. it almost feels like you've, you've begun to fold that into your overall view of what your meditation practice is, that it includes yeah, I think um, so. I, I think background that w- could be helpful in this discussion is I'm a naturopath, so I see mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical as one big tangled spider web. Not really tangled, mm-hmm. one big intricately connected spider web. And so for me, there there isn't really a separation between if, if I'm not practicing formally, I still am mindful and reflective, you know, throughout most of my days. And so, so I, I don't think it can be disconnected and separated. I think it is all one part of my life. Hmm. So it almost sounds from what you've just said then that from one perspective, you could say there's your formal meditation practice, these blocks of 30 to 60 minutes where you're sitting down and engaging meditation in a specific way. There are these times when you get pulled away from uh, that sort of thing by, again, extreme examples, anxiety and overwhelm. And it feels like the way that you view your life and the fact that you have all these informal ways of practicing meditation kind of form a connective tissue that join it all together. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> and a great way to live, I'd think. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, because I, because I do, well, because I am who I am and because of, because I do what I do. So I've always been labeled as the oversensitive kid, oversensitive teen, oversensitive young adult, both emotionally and physically. And I am in a helping profession. And so I sit face to face with people who on some level are struggling for eight hours a day, four days a week. And so I don't think there is I don't think I could do what I do and live in the being that I live in without some level of meditation. I mean, I, I tried that in my early twenties and I was incredibly sick and really like got to the point where I wasn't functioning and knew there, there had to be, 
something, some way to support my being the being that I am in this world. And for me, like meditation was that thing that helped me be able to be the being that I am in this world. Well, again, that's beautifully put. Thank you for that. Wonderfully articulated. And so I wonder then if, if you could talk a little bit about what meditation looks like for you. You've, we've talked a lot about, for, we've used the phrase formal meditation practice, and we've talked about informal meditation practice. And I know you've given a couple of examples of that, you know, that the, the connective tissue of informal practice. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what, of the, what each of these look like for you? What does, you know, a couple of examples of informal practice, yeah. for instance? So informal practice might be just um, taking an in-breath to the count of five and an out-breath to the count of five and really paying attention to my breath. It might take, what, 10 seconds, maybe 20. And, and that might be something that I do in between patients to help clear whatever just happened and get ready for whatever will come. Um, so like the little breathing might help, or sometimes I just, um, feel my feet and breathe in from my feet and help me to feel grounded. So like that could take a split second. If I feel like I need a bit more, I will breathe into my belly, feel it, fill me, and then feel it kind of sprout out my head like a fountain. And that seems like my breath kind of like cleanses me, which makes it sound wooey, but like, that's what it feels like is like, it's kind of purging things. Purging is kind of harsh. Um, so those are kind of the informal ways hmm. and they're, they're just, I've explored and found them because they are short and they are things that, that tend to like shift me. You know, if, if I'm feeling a little bit of like the, the energy rise towards an agitation or an anxiousness, I can ground through my feet and it, it helps shift that impending something. Um, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to use it to like avoid all negative things, but, you know, in the moment, it helps me just come back to center. And I think um, the more formal practice might be where whatever was trying to bubble up that I couldn't have bubble up in any given moment. Like that's where that stuff can really have, have the chance to bubble up and come through. So it sounds then with informal practice, at least there's been a, a process of exploration. It's okay. not just, okay, this is what I'm going to do. There's, right. yeah. there's I, an exploration where you're seeing, you're discerning how it's actually impacting you in your life in this situation. You know, a client yeah. has just left, a client is about to come. I have 37 seconds. Yeah. I need to find some stable ground. So there's, um, it sounds like you're very active in terms of agency, in terms of, you know, shaping your informal meditation practice life. Mm -hmm. And I think that has come out of, um, you know, 20 something, 30 something years of, you know, trying this 
mindfulness practice or this guided meditation or this breath work or, you know, all, all of the different things and like experimenting and playing. And like one thing that does not work for me is when people have, um, recommend visualization of, you know, you're laying on a beach and you can hear the waves and the seagulls and feel the sun that doesn't work for me. And so it's not something I even try to reach for anymore. I know that that style of visioning, envisioning, it just doesn't work for me. And so, you know, I've explored all sorts of things over the last second half of my life. And then I just, I feel what what works for me, what resonates, what shifts me. And then those Mm -hmm. are the things that I kind of carry with me. And is that really what you're looking for when you say works and resonates is something that shifts your state of being, your experience. We're talking about informal practice still something that shifts your state of being right here, right now. Yes. And I think one of the ways I know that it shifts is, um, I can feel when I'm in my head, I can feel when I'm intellectualizing and overthinking. And that's, that's the state where, you know, the worries or the overwhelm can shift is, is when I'm totally in my head and my breathing is shallow, my body's rigid. And when I go to kind of like do a body scan or to check in, I can't quite access the rest of my body. It's like, I'm just a head, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, through certain breaths, the belly breath, the sinking into my feet, the, you know, those things help me to feel like I'm just a head and they, they help me to feel like I have a whole embodied piece of me, you know, like I I'm one full being and my head's included, but I can feel my knee and my piggy toe and my low back. And, and I can feel all the parts of me. And that's how I know that it's quote worked or resonated with me is I can then feel like I'm a whole being and not just a really smart head. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm great at being a really smart head. Mm-hmm. I, I've, you know, I've, Gosh, the number of years of schooling, 12, 16, 17, 18 plus five, 23 years of formal schooling. Like I'm great at being a brilliant head, but where I'm a better doctor is when I'm actually embodied and intuitive and heart-centered. That's when I serve my best. And it sounds like meditation's place in all, in within meditation's place in all that, your discernment as a practitioner plays a key role. Yeah. 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 And what's it look like formally? You know, we've been talking about informal practice. What's formal practice look like? Um, I'm also curious about. Uh, you talked about kind of a differing view, a different understanding of what you're engaging informal practice for and what you might engage formal practice for. Can you talk to both those? What does a practice look like and and, and what is the understanding of, of what might be going on in yeah. formal practice? 
So what formal practice has looked like definitely has differed. I started exploring meditation in a group setting through, um, we were members of a Unitarian Unitarian Universalist Society um, in Connecticut years ago. And and I joined this, this group and it was really about mindfulness and increasing your presence. And, and I think that's how it started kind of a very like practical, wasn't what didn't have much talk about spirit or uh, anything spiritual. It was much more practical than that. And that totally served me in my twenties. And then Gradually with time, like I said, I've explored different types of formal practice, Um, sitting, lying down, following guided things, following breath work. It was about six years ago when I did my first retreat with you that I really like learned what quote somatic meditation was. and, And that like was this huge opening of this is exactly what I was looking for. It it blended my faith in our incredible human brilliance with that meditation practice that I had been working with, but it really brought them together in that somatic like faith. And I hadn't had a regular formal meditation practice. And then I joined your seven day silent retreat and like I got a migraine midweek because I was literally blown away. Like being in my body for that amount of time was, was so drastically different than, than walking around as this brilliant head that literally like I, I couldn't, yeah, I literally just got this horrific migraine and then like, ah, and then it shifted. So, so formal meditation practice for me now looks like sitting, breathing, connecting to my whole being. And that might be through a body scan because sometimes I need to start at my toes and, and, and invite everybody in and get into each part of me. And other times I can sit down and be in all parts of me just within a breath. So it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what part two of the question was. Just the difference between formal and informal practice oh, right. for you. you. You described that a few yeah. minutes ago and I'm intrigued. I think, I think the state that I'm in now, I could probably coast with my informal practice for much longer than I've been able to in the past, only because through my formal practice of sitting regularly, connecting and being part of my body regularly, do I know what that shift is? Do I know the difference between being all in my head versus being in my body? So the informal practices I think are allowed now because I did the formal practice for years. And I, I, 
I clearly like, I don't want it to sound like I don't have to do the formal practice anymore. Cause I'm like, quote, so good at it. Like that's totally not the case, <laughs> but, but I do know that I can do the informal practice now because of the fact that I was so dedicated to the exploration of what it meant to be in my body in that formal way so regularly that I now know I can feel the difference. I can so feel when I am present and embodied and when I'm not. I mean, that's really interesting because I get asked a lot, you know, when I'm doing introductory classes specifically, I'll get asked with some frequency like, well, you know, what is meditation brought into your life? You know, what, what have you got out of this? You know, people, I guess, are really wanting to know what might I get out of this, yeah. which is an understandable and appropriate question. Yeah. And typically people are surprised by my response, which very much rides in the wake of what you said. I think that the biggest shift, I'm not going to use that term because you've used it. The biggest change I've noticed as a result of my ongoing engagement with formal meditation practice is what I'd call familiarity. I have a little bit more familiarity when I'm present and when I'm not. And so like you beautifully put it, I've never connected that with my experience of informal practice, but of course it's key. That's what allows me to recognize when, you know, breathing into the soles of my feet for five seconds during a meeting has actually brought about the shift that I feel is necessary and appropriate in that situation. That's how I know okay, I'm going into this interpersonal conversation completely flustered and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, caught up in whatever, which in my experience is hugely beneficial to have that recognition, to be able to say to myself, wow, okay, this is a conversation where I'm really not very present. So here's what I'm going to try and do. Yeah. And I think, um, an intense example of this is um, we had a vet visit our home this weekend because we needed to let go of our 14-year-old fur baby. And we knew the vet was due at a certain time. So we took our, our dog out to the backyard and laid on a blanket and, and she was just laying, taking a nap. She was nice and calm and sleepy just because she was old, not because we had done anything. And I was, I was seated next to her and um, it was incredibly painful. And I think it would have been very easy to like disconnect and turn off and harden and wall up, like just in response to the intensity. And yet that's not how I wanted her to feel me as she left. And so I really found myself able to like mindfully prevent that and stay open and present for her and connected to the earth because I needed support. Right. And so like I could feel the connection beneath me and and I was just able to be present with her and sure my pain came out, 
but, but it wasn't all about my pain. I was able to see it, but realize that that wasn't in the forefront, that I just needed to breathe and stay grounded and connected so that she could feel my presence. Hmm. And that's how I wanted her to pass is knowing that I was right there. And, and like, again, like that's one of the most intense moments that I can experience as a human is watching some being that I incredibly love pass. And, and I was able to be present with her based on my practices. Like, I don't, I don't think that's an easy task. No, I mean that's one of the things that comes through is your ability to be present in some in a moment or a series of moments that sound incredibly incredibly painful for you. Yeah. And yet to be able to be there with another being during their final moments. Mm-hmm. What a gift. For her and for me. Mhm. I got yeah, I, I got to appreciate her to the va- the very last moment rather than getting sucked into the, the darkness and the intensity of my hurt. I got the benefit of appreciating her and being with her till the last moment. And I can only imagine that that benefited her too. Yeah. And it sounds like your hurt was there. It just wasn't the main character in yeah. what was going on. Yeah, 100%. Like it, yeah. um, it, like it physically hurts. It's been 48 hours and yeah, like I ache. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I ache. So I'm wondering, you know, Wendy Lee, as we move toward the end here, I'm wondering if there's anyone who's listening and who is hearing and feeling what you just said and feeling in themselves, I want some of that in my life. Mm -hmm. I want that ability in my life. Are there any kind of pointers you might offer two or three tips Mm. for how we might do that? I think one is to have patience and grace for the outcome. And Neil, you said it, I don't know if you say it often regularly, or if it was one thing that stuck in my mind, but when we meditate, things arise. And, and I heard that, you know, off early with you and, and, and that has been my experience. So, you know, I mentioned kind of the informal practices being times when I I want kind of the things that might be overwhelming to just take a back seat so that I can be grounded, centered, and present. And when I sit in more of my formal practice, that that's when the things bubble up. And so often the grief or the anger or the self-criticism or whatever it might be, that's when it comes up for me. And, and so I think, I think just being patient with yourself and giving yourself grace that there's like, you're not doing it quote wrong, or there's no one right way to do it, that it, it just is an opportunity to fully experience all aspects. And, and because we're human, there's, 
you know, good, bad, and ugly all wrapped up. Um, so I think one is that like having, having patience for not having like the, the perfect outcome. I think the second one is more about kind of that, that expectation that the only way to do it right is to do it daily. And I mean, I wouldn't have gotten this far in, in all of my education if I didn't have some perfectionistic tendencies and for a long time, I'd be super beating up on myself if I wasn't sitting daily. And it was totally defeating any, any purpose of connecting, opening my heart, being more centered, more grounded. And so um, it still rears every now and then, but I think really like advising people to let go of that perfection of how it's supposed to be. And it is what it is. And allowing that to um, flow a little more and be a little less rigid. And I think the third tip would probably be to, to do the exploration. Like I said, I learned that guided meditation works sometimes and breath work works for me sometimes. And and somatic meditation is is what like just went poof for me and and the visualization doesn't work for me and so um just encouraging people to to explore and to find when do they feel a shift and when do they feel like they're effortfully not getting anywhere and maybe go towards the shift and see what happens Wonderful. Thank you very much for uh, doing this. Thanks very much for taking some time to uh, talk with us today, Wendy Lee. Absolutely. Thank you for doing what you do, Neil. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you very much. It's wonderful to hear. I'm going to, once we're done here, I'm going to take a moment and let that sink in. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for now, I'll just say thank you to everyone as always for listening. And if you want to learn a little bit more about uh, my work, helping us bring meditation to life, please visit my website at neilmckinley.com. And if you're so inclined, consider signing up for my newsletter, which is a monthly source of teachings and updates and special offers, and very importantly, reminders that meditation may have a role to play in our everyday lives. And in the meantime, take care and be well. And let's keep doing this work together. Let's keep bringing meditation to life.